Well, good evening. We have the uh, remnant. This is the uh, few and faithful here tonight to open up the Word of God. And I didn't exactly know who would show up tonight, so uh, I'll get to craft what I want to say based on the participants here. But I, um, I was thinking through maybe... Uh, some principles or ideas that we can discuss from Roman or from uh, Ephesians chapter five, and begin to probably kind of help you think critically about not only how you process through the scriptures and applying principles that would be both helpful for you as parents, but also just helpful for us generally as a church. I was thinking through the general idea that comes along like this from many young people today. And it's something like this. um, Unless it's directly stated in Scripture, I'm not going to do it. So where is it directly stated? Or they might practice it on the flip side, something like this. They would say, Uh, Well, it's not directly forbidden in the scriptures, and therefore it must be right. So if it's not directly stated, don't do this. Or if it's not directly stated, do this. They respond accordingly. Thinking somehow that they need either a direct command in order to have to obey, or a direct prohibition in order to not do that. And so they have freedom, and nowadays particularly in our own generation, and I would even say within our own culture, there's a strong emphasis that people have to express their individuality, to express their freedoms. And part of that has, become, has been because within our generation and our culture, certainly within our nation, we have not experienced the level of persecution and suffering that others throughout the world have faced. You live in other nations, various Slavic nations, for example, various nations in Africa and other places. You might be inclined to see heavy persecution. And when you see that kind of heavy persecution, you can see the effects of worldliness. So even the scent of worldliness becomes an offense to you because the world turns on the believer. The world becomes hostile towards the believer. Just look back in the early church and you look at Rome and you look at Rome's uh, response when this new sect, the Christians, came out. They became the target. Everybody hated the Christians. This new starting group of believers who said there was only one God. So in doing that, they were already going against the polytheism of Rome. And so they were an easy target. On top of that, the Jews hated them. And everyone else hated the Christian because the Christian was the easy target. And to which then they came up with various lies about Christians. Christians, you know, are cannibals. They eat you know, as Jesus said, come, you must eat my body and drink my blood. This is a, it's a religion of cannibalism. They kept spreading lies and therefore the church was targeted and the church then suffered greatly. Suffered under the hands of Nero, suffered under the Roman 
soldier, Roman leaders for generations. So there was within the early, ch- early church an awareness that worldliness is destructive. But today, in our generation, when a country is founded by a group of pilgrims and religious leaders that left their, their country to find the freedom to worship and find the freedom to operate as they wish, they came over to America, found that freedom, able to establish their ability to freely worship God. They fought for their rights and defended it. And we've lived under a time of prosperity for hundreds of years now. And in the midst of that, we have grown accustomed to being more like the world. Worldliness doesn't offend us the same way that it offended those who are under heavy persecution. Worldliness doesn't directly excite our, our passions to resist because we haven't faced that kind of heavy-handed rejection that the early church has faced and that other nations have faced and other generations have faced in different places. And so we are looking for, in our day and age, more uh, like this, where we're just saying, what did God want us to do? Give us the exact commands. But there is something about the Christian life that also demands that we are skilled in walking wisely. And it's not just the direct prohibition, not just the direct command that we're looking for, but it is the appropriate application of wisdom that we are to apply. And that comes out in the book of Ephesians. The wisdom that God calls us to walk in. Yes, there are plenty of commands, plenty of exhortations, plenty of things that we are called to do to conduct ourselves uprightly in this world, but there's also the need to grow with the skillful application of the truth that we gain a kind of wisdom to safeguard ourselves, to guard our hearts because the days are evil, to prepare ourselves for the challenges we'll face. And particularly families, this is absolutely critical because we face new challenges all the time. Again, you think about our generation. I actually lived in a period of time where they didn't have cell phones. I am that old. Some of you kids, you've never known anything otherwise than cell phones and internet. I lived before cell phones and before internet. And you keep going back, and some have even lived much longer than that. They have been, you know, before other technologies. But now, in today's day and age, we live... Uh, in such a time where we're facing new challenges, new difficulties, and we need to know the Scriptures well to find the divine principle and then wisely and skillfully apply that principle. So that in applying that principle, we safeguard ourselves from the temptations and difficulties that we're going to face in this world. And Ephesians is... One of those books where Paul warns us about this. Notice Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. First kind of reminder that Paul gives. He says in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, 
implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The first exhortation that Paul makes, as again, this is Paul's classic style, first three chapters of doctrine, first three chapters laying out this practical theological truth, and then chapter four through six, the last three, he turns and he gets very applicational and direct. And in this, this is one of those examples of being the prison epistle. He reminds the audience of where he's at. He's imprisoned, reminding them he's a prisoner of the Lord. And he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To walk in a worthy manner, a God-honoring, God-exalting manner. A way that brings praise and the glory to God. A, a way in which demonstrates righteousness. A way in which demonstrates godliness. That draws attention to God and His works. The one that is exemplary. A life that is devoted, dedicated. He starts this. He continues on in verse 17, which we saw this morning. He gives a command in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Here's what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to be engaged in a kind of life that looks like the world. What you're to be engaged in is a kind of life that walks in a worthy manner. It continues in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God, and as beloved children, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We are to be imitators of God, reflecting his glory, reflecting his righteousness, reflecting his character in our life. We are to be reflecting God as imitators of God. We walk worthily. We walk in such a way as not conform to this world like the Gentiles walk. We walk being imitators of God, reflecting Him. Jump down to verse 8. He has this one more time. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, it's this reminder, you be wise, be careful, be vigilant, walk as light. And then in verse 15, you see this statement, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Again, Paul says here, look at your conduct. Carefully observe your conduct, so that you operate rightly. You can summarize verse 1, verse 8, and verse 15 of chapter 5 like this. Walk in love, walk in light, walk carefully or wisely. And it's that principle of wisdom in our conduct in verses 15 through 21 that I want to draw your attention to. Because in verse 15 through verse 21, I think Paul lays out in these verses for us five ways in which we learn to walk in wisdom. Five ways that become essentially the practice for us to carefully 
wisely walk in our lives. And if I was to drive this home, particularly to our lives as parents, I can say these five principles help us to be careful as we lead our families. They act as a kind of protection for us. It gets us through those kind of gray areas, those areas that demand wisdom. Again, it is really simple when we come to the Scriptures and the Scriptures just give us a direct command. We love that. It's like there's no ambiguity. You know, we love the First Thessalonians chapter 4 when Paul says to the Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. There's no question about that. Here's what the will of God is. It's sanctification, that I avoid all immorality. That's easy. Well, what about those little gray areas? Like, should your kids have social media? Should you... Should they have a cell phone? Should they be allowed on the internet? Should they watch such and such a TV program? And on and on it goes. Now we have to apply wisdom. And we, should they have a gaming system? Should we just give them rocks and sticks and say, that's what I got growing up, so that's what you have? Do we... How do we navigate through the various technologies and opportunities that are arising today so as to prepare them for the challenges that they're going to face going up? Let me just warn you, parents, the temptation for us is this. The temptation for us is to create a bunch of rules and say, this is what's going to fix you. I have all these rules and you're not going to do anything else because these rules are going to keep us all safe. And your kids may... If they're compliant, obey those rules and fit in line and do everything you told them to do. You may win them over by your strong personality or you may win them over by coercing them, either by threats or by rewards, convincing them to follow exactly what you want. But their heart is somewhere else entirely. Yeah, they've complied on the outside. They have done every, kept every rule, but privately, internally, they are somewhere else. I know this challenge just recently when interacting with one of my kids as the child is getting older, and I am purposely hiding the gender so you can't guess which one, but as the child is getting older and is determining life and where they would go, could see some of the private desires coming up, some of the private affections, the private uh, attractions of the heart. And I could say, you didn't learn that from me. Certainly didn't learn it from my example. You didn't learn it because of what I pointed you to or because of what I taught you. Your heart has drawn itself to that thing. And so, we want to operate as parents in such a way that we can wisely navigate our children through the difficulties of life and draw out the heart so that you can then begin to expose whether there is worldliness or godliness. 
whether you're helping them fulfill exactly what Paul is describing here in Ephesians 4 and 5, walking in a worthy manner, in a manner that shows love, in a manner that represents light, in a manner that is wise or shows unbelief and a life that is stubbornly resisting. This is what we want to carefully guard ourselves with. And again, this is where I love the principles that Paul lays out here. So we're going to look at verses 15 through 21. I'm going to just give you five principles and we'll just see where our night goes in regards to unpacking each one of these. And in these principles, again, there's less of a direct command and exhortation, more of the skillful, wise application of the truth that helps safeguard us in our spiritual lives. The first is seen in verse 15 and 16, and here's the principle. We are to carefully guard our time because the days are evil. Principle number one. We are to operate carefully in this time because the days are evil. Notice what Paul says there. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now notice the contrast as he starts there, as he tells us, be vigilant in your walk, be careful, be observant, be aware. You're heading into dangerous time. It's kind of like what I tell my kids as they are growing up and they're heading, finishing school and they're transitioning in life and they are taking on adult responsibilities. It is the reminder, you're heading into adult responsibilities. With that comes then not only the rewards, but also the consequences, the dangers, the difficulties. And notice the contrast as he states it in this careful walk. You, you have one of two ways you conduct, can conduct yourself as an unwise man or as a wise man. You can go into it naively, foolishly, carelessly, thinking somehow that in operating in life that there's going to be no troubles or difficulties and that you're free to act any way you wish or you can head into it with wisdom, with understanding. And the first principle we are to lay out is we are to be careful, we are to be wise because as he states in verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You're not heading into a time and a season where there is prosperity and peace. You're heading into dangerous times, evil times. The days are evil. I suppose this gets easier for us to believe each cycle of of voting that takes place, each election cycle that comes up, it gets easier and easier for us to believe, yes, the days are getting evil. Can you believe the kind of person we're putting out there that we're voting on? I mean, frankly, bring back Reagan. Bring back somebody that is some kind of wisdom, that has some kind of stability of life. Of course, every Democrat's freaking out, but anyways, none of them are here tonight. The idea, though, is still plainly true in this. The days are evil. 
they are precarious. There's danger around. And the particular exhortation that Paul gives here is there in verse 16 saying, make the most of your time. We say like this, make the most of each opportunity that you have. Each moment, each aspect of your day, carefully guard it. Watch over it. I saw a clip recently of a guy talking about if he read 15 minutes a day on one difficult topic and what you would have at the end of a month and at the end of a quarter, at the end of a year, the kind of knowledge that you gain by tackling that one difficult topic for just 15 minutes. So that's the idea. You are carefully budgeting your time to skillfully navigate and take on all of the burdens of life. This is, frankly, one of the fundamental things that you learn going to school. You head off into college, you take on all your classes, your mom and dad's no longer around, it's just you and the professors, and each day you go to class, you know, the first time you head to class, the professors throw down the requirements for the semester, here's the reading you have to do, and here are the papers you're going to have to write, and here are the projects, and on they lay it on, and then it's off to you. You have to decide how to get it all done. And you carefully plan your time and you carefully work through your schedule and you carefully evaluate your to-do list and you carefully work out how you're going to do all those things to get it all done. This is the idea of this, making the most of your time. You're looking at your 24-hour day and you're saying, how am I going to take advantage of every moment in this day to get the most out of it? To do it, why? Because the days are evil. If I just let the day lead me, it's going to lead me into evil. And I don't want to be like the unwise man letting my days conform me into its image. I want to be as the wise man carefully considering my time. Parents, this is absolutely critical. If you think about children and transitioning from, from you know, teenage years to adulthood... This is one of the most essential elements you're teaching them. Look, you're not going to be in this stage forever. I like to tell my kids, I know I've made life really comfortable for you. Our house is amazing. Laughter, food's always there. Everyone enjoys being around each other. You don't pay for the lights. You don't pay for your bed. You don't pay for the air conditioning. You don't pay for the insurance. You don't pay for anything. You come and consume it. Well, that's coming to an end. Adulthood is coming. Responsibilities are going to come slap you right in the face. And the question is this. Are you going to be prepared for it? Are you working now, using your time to develop a skill to be useful to actively prepare yourself so that you would have a life that you'd be able as a man to provide for a family? Are you gaining the kind of skill that you would need to be productive, to be careful, to be able to bless others, to help them in the time of difficulty? See, the first 
kind of principle in walking carefully is to recognize we all have the same amount of time. How are we going to use it? I mean, in that sense, we all of us have the same amount of time in a day, 24 hours. Same amount of minutes, seconds, etc. None of us have learned, and though I've tried to figure out how to slow down time, or at other times try to speed it up or change it, I cannot manipulate time. No one else, no one can. But with this amount of time, while we're here on earth, we are to skillfully use that time as wise people so that we are not being consumed by this evil age. And it's easy to kind of slip in and think that, ah, it doesn't matter. Just kind of a little slacking off over here. You know, trust me, my wife has asked me to clean the garage many times and I have found many reasons not to. Delay, to push it off, hoping somehow somebody will come and just do it. But then there are times like we have to carefully guard, carefully work hard, carefully manage our time to diligently and accurately maximize our time so as to bless others. And it is, again, as a parent, this is one of the particular ways that we help our kids mature is the skillful and careful management of time. Don't be slack. Don't be lazy. Don't be wasting those moments because you can't get a single minute back. Second principle of wisdom is seen in verse 17, which we are to seek the revealed will of God and yield to it. Seek the revealed will of God and yield to it. Notice verse 17 says, so then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is now the exhortation that Paul puts on them. You have the responsibility to seek the will of God and to know it. Don't be foolish. Don't be wasteful or slack or naive thinking that there is no consequence to these things. Carefully guard yourself and and conduct yourself in such a way that you seek to understand what the will of the Lord is. To know His plan and His purposes. So So that you're not naively led into something. I mean, obviously, to some degree... We've all experienced this where we've made a decision, lived with that decision for a while, and then looked back and said, what was I thinking when I made this decision? How come I didn't see this consequence or I didn't see this difficulty? And it's this principle right here of careful, wise evaluation of understanding the will of the Lord that is a protection for us. It's a safeguard, especially in regards to understanding Christian liberties. There are all kinds of liberties that we could express. Should you drink? Should you smoke? Should you dance? Should you get a tattoo of Pastor Rag's name on your back? All those things. 
All right, you are listening. Good. You have these liberties. And how do I handle those liberties? And are they really liberties for me to practice? What is it that the scriptures say in regards to principles that govern these things? The naive doesn't seek, doesn't look to answer, doesn't ask questions, doesn't seek counsel, doesn't read books, doesn't pull out the scriptures, doesn't do the study, and just think that they're going to float through life and it's going to lead to righteousness. That's the naive one. Paul says, don't be foolish. Don't think that somehow you're going to accidentally wake up godly. No one just accidentally wakes up in the honoring of the Lord. It is work. It's labor. It's striving. I mean, again, every parent in here knows this. It's like, I put you to bed last night. You were a mess. And I'm hoping that the next morning you're going to wake up an angel. I'm hoping that you're not going to wake up perfect without a sin nature and you're just going to walk righteously. We know that doesn't happen. We know that somebody doesn't just stumble into righteousness. But there is effort. There's labor. There's striving. There's purposeful discipline. Purposeful study. Purposeful pursuit. And so Paul states that here in verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's going to go on and explain it next. But understand this, that we are to understand what God's ways are. We are to seek after it. We are to carefully be understanding and pursuing a knowledge of God. Knowledge again, of course, comes directly from his scriptures as his scriptures give us his direct command, but also we can learn from the scriptures the implications of the truth, how to apply that truth to carefully guard ourselves. So there is a sense then in the pursuit of wisdom that we want to understand God and his will and his purposes so that when we face those unique and you know, those unique circumstances and difficulties, we are in tune with identifying what would be pleasing to God. Because it's not going to just happen. We're going to have to skillfully prepare ourselves to understand the will of the Lord and His ways. Thirdly, Paul lays out in verse 18, a practice or wisdom we are to be led by the Spirit and not any other mind-altering substance. We're to be led by the Spirit and no other mind-altering substance. It says that in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We could say it like this, we should be controlled by nothing else but the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God should be leading us. And again, this is in a day and age where there are so many things coming at us that would seek to influence us and control us. Medications can begin to, to cloud our thinking. 
In this particular case, Paul immediately contrasts drinking. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Not let wine so cloud your your mind, your judgment, that you no longer can think accurately. Again, I remember preaching through this many years ago, this particular verse. And as I've said, that this verse does not go as far as my Baptist sensibilities want it to go. I wish it had said, do not drink at all. But it doesn't say that. It says, do not get drunk with wine. Meaning that there is a, a, a level where it goes too far. There is a line. A line in which it becomes unwise, that it becomes sinful, where it becomes destructive. And that line is drunkenness. Do not get drunk with wine. Why? Because that's dissipation. That's leading you to be controlled by a substance that you are no longer in control of yourself. And if you're going to be in that state, it should be because the Spirit of God is leading you, not because of some outside chemical, some outside influence. Do not be drunk with wine. You're to walk in such a way, operate in such a way, that you are guarding what you're intaking so that what you're intaking doesn't dominate you and control you. Remember reading through this at the time in which I first studied through this and taught it and recognized there was a study that uh, multiple people, men, women, different ages, different backgrounds, each had a glass of wine and they tested the influence on each person. And what they began to find out is that each person was radically different. Age was a factor. Weight was a factor. When they ate last was a factor. What medication they had last was a factor. And so that each person crossed the line of drunkenness at different rates at different times because of all of these various factors. interesting even when you start to define for example what does it mean to be drunk verse 18 do not get drunk what is the definition of drunkenness and I can bring up a bunch of professional drinkers and their answer would be well when I black out or when I'm slurring my speech or when I'm stumbling around that's when I'm drunk I can handle my liquor well actually the law tells us exactly what the standard is. We have it on the books. If you drive, well, I think it's still .08, right, Russ? Yeah, good. .08, I got the official police officer affirmation. That .08 is the legal definition of drunkenness. And I think if you had consumed that amount of alcohol and blown a breathalyzer test, you would think, I'm fine. I, my faculties feel in line and I feel like I can op- operate just fine and yet you would be crossing that line legally. The point is in all of this is that there is a legal definition of drunkenness and it's not a, a subjective experience. And it is a line in which moves for each of us based on 
Like I said, age, gender, weight, food, medications, etc. And even what you're drinking. So that line gets very difficult in which you, how easily it is that it could be crossed. Paul says here, we are, if we're going to wisely conduct ourselves in this world, if we're going to operate in such a way that we are not unwise, but wise men, and we're being imitators of God, and we're walking in love, and we're walking as children of the light, we have to operate in such a way that we're not allowing outside influences to control us. Something other than the Spirit. I think if there is one devastating work that discredits a parent's influence in the family, it is crossing these particular lines, lacking wisdom and skillfully walking through these areas. Because the absolute destructive work of being under the influence of alcohol And nowadays, we face so many other difficulties. Like just recently, literally just today, sat down with a group of young people who asked, well, what about smoking marijuana? Would that be something that we could do? And again, it's this exact same principle. Are you taking something that is altering your mind, altering your state of thinking? By the way, you are. And that's why if you were to take marijuana and get in your car and drive and you were to get pulled over, you would be pulled over and get a DUI because you were under the influence of something else. It's interesting. Here is Paul stating this. If we're going to be wise, we are going to operate in such a way that we're being led by the Spirit and not some other substance. Phrase, be filled with the Spirit. As I mentioned this morning, is it's in the passive voice that reminds us that it's a work done to us. And literally the emphasis is this, be yielding yourself to the Spirit's work. Be filled, being yielded to the Spirit to let the Spirit move and direct. The Spirit is at work, pulling on us, directing us, seeking to transform our minds, seeking to transform our life. The Spirit of God is working within us to help us understand truth and communicate truth and delight in it. And we can either yield to the Spirit's work or we can oppose it and resist it. Here, Paul tells us, Don't resist that. Don't be a resisting, using the very kind of imagery of a sail. If you had a sailboat and you were out in the ocean and the wind was blowing through, you have two choices. You either put the sail up so that the wind will fill the sail and lead the boat along or you pull the sail down so as not to be influenced by the wind. 
That's the imagery that Paul draws out here in verse 18 and says, Do not give yourself over to another influence, but rather put the sail up that the Spirit of God will be the influence and direction. The question ultimately for you is this, as you think about your family life or your own personal life, what are you doing to make yourself available that the Spirit of God will move and direct you? And the flip side is, what are you doing that actually hinders that, that limits that influence in your life, that keeps you from being influenced by the Spirit? And as parents, when we are actively ministering to our kids, we are teaching them these very things. Here's what you're doing to gain the Spirit's influence. Here's what you do to hear the truth and respond to it, to be influenced, and this is what we do that corrupts that, that hinders that influence. So walking in wisdom walks in such a way that we are carefully analyzing and evaluating the Spirit's direct moving in our life. Fourthly, see in verse 19 and 20, then, the practice that we are to be filled with truth and thankful. To be wise, to be conducting ourselves in a way that will demonstrate the wisdom of God and that we're wise and not unwise. We're to be filled with truth and thankful. Notice what he says. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. How do we conduct ourselves? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We, again, this isn't, they walk up and say, I have a song in my heart for you, and start singing. Though I have interacted with some like this, The idea is that we are speaking memorably. We're speaking in a way that is putting truth on the mind. Again, the psalms and the hymns and spiritual songs, these would be reminding ourselves of of essential spiritual truths in a way that was compelling our own hearts to meditate on it and delight in it. Psalms, many of the Psalms were written in such a way that they would be memorable. That's why you go back to like Psalm 119, for example, and you see in each stanza, uh, in each section, it started with a particular Hebrew letter, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, etc. And then that first letter of the, would be the first letter of the word. So as to remind themselves, we're in the Aleph section, and now we're in the Bet section, the Gimel section. And in that, they would begin to memorize these sections so as to hide the word in their own hearts. And so what Paul is emphasizing here is speak in such a way that the truth is memorable, understandable, relatable. Think about how important this is as parents. When you come and interact with your kids, that you're coming and speaking to them in such a way that that truth is memorable to them. Or they could say, Oh, I remember Dad spoke about this. One of the guys in my life that has done this very well is my grandfather. If you met my grandfather once, 
or a hundred times, you've probably heard him say this. It all goes back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. And he has had many conversations with many of his family members at many times that we don't really know if he's lost his mind or he really loves Genesis chapter 1. But it's memorable. He remembers and speaks always of these things. Everything, every road leads back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. That's, that's a direct quote from my grandfather. The idea that Paul brings out in verse 19, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord is directing your heart to worship and speaking and communicating in such a way as to be memorable and clear with the truth. Always leading to worship, always leading to the exalting of God in the difficulties. Friends, you know how important this is especially when our young people, our family, is struggling with the difficulties, the unfairnesses of life. It's not fair I have to suffer like this. It's not fair I'm limited like this. It's not fair that they treated me like this. It's not fair that I didn't get what I wanted. It's not fair that that diagnosis came. It's not fair the way life is leading me. And we have to be training our hearts that we're always filled with worship. Praise to God, singing spiritual songs and making melody in our heart to the Lord. The Lord is in control. The Lord is faithful. The Lord won't abandon His people. A wise life is a life that learns how to take the circumstances of life and bring the truth to bear to that in a memorable way. And a wise life is able to take that circumstance and turn it to the worship and adoration of God able to give him all praise and honor for that difficult circumstance, which evidences itself in verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, even certain politicians getting into an office you wish they were not in, you can still give praise to God. Yes, even that difficult spouse you wish would grow and mature, you can give praise to God and thanks to God. Yes, that difficult manager, that difficult boss, that difficult situation, whatever we face, we can always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. We can give Him praise. This is an essential skill that we must take our kids and teach them how to practice. I mean, I have plenty of times throughout my parenting life with my children where I have had to teach them that even when they have been mistreated, they do the right thing. Even when they have been wronged, because that's how they are like the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when wronged, even when not understood, even when underappreciated, even when potentially mistreated, they do what is right. And I guarantee you, 
they will not do what is right unless they are able to take their heart and worship and praise God and remember the truth and give thanks. This was required for wise living. And the last one is in verse 21. Be honoring authority. Verse 21 says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. How do I live in wisdom? Learn to honor authority. Learn to honor appropriate authorities, subject, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There is an appropriate submission to authority. All authority, honored, appreciated. Again, even that authority that is not operating rightly. You honor it because God has ordained that authority and God has given it. Again, many times I remember conversations with my kids where either myself or my wife had made a wrong assessment and came down upon our kids and maybe even brought a judgment into their life and now they're smarting under the fact of an apparent injustice in their life. And as they're crying out and everything within them wants to rebel, the reminder, honor authority. Yes, God has given you imperfect parents who don't know all things, who are not omniscient or omnipresent. We didn't see the circumstance. We made the best decision we had under the circumstance and situation. And at times, it's flawed. But that's for your good. That's for your good that you would understand that that same authority flawed is also there to protect you and that same authority though flawed in our case when we recognize what we did needed to be corrected we would go back and correct it learning to be in subjection to one another and not fight against an authority that is there for your good is important you think about what we've been tempted through over the last few years when we've seen corruption in authority, the temptations have been we should just abandon it all. Get rid of it all. They messed up. They have an evil agenda. They have an evil purpose. And so we abandon it all. And we're stirring up people's heart to be in rebellion. This principle right here, as Paul saying, be subject to one another, is a principle calling us to acknowledge and, and approve authority. Not fight against it. Again, it isn't because we live in a perfect world. It's because God has given those authorities. He's given government. Even the governments in the United States. Or in other countries. And he's given us husbands. given us parents. He's given us pastors, elders. He's given us Local authorities. All of these authorities, all these different areas of authority have the chance to fail, but also the chance to do what's right and good. We honor it because it's from God. It's from His design. And if we dishonor those authorities, then we're going to face the difficulties that come. So that Paul is laying out in this section here, Five areas that we can look at to guard ourselves to walk wisely. 
We walk wisely by the careful use of our time. We walk wisely by seeking the revealed will of God and yielding to it. We walk wisely by not giving ourselves to outside influences, but to the spirit of loan. We walk wisely by seeking the truth, speaking it in a compelling way and worshiping. And we walk wisely by being in submission to authority. These guard us and protect us. Yeah, it may not be clear with a direct command per se, but if we are carefully looking at these principles, we would be careful to guard ourselves and protect ourselves. And I think it's essential as a parent, as a father, to be able to teach my kids and my family these principles so as to safeguard them in the unique challenges that they're going to face in life. If there's any questions, store them up because next week we'll answer them for you. Next week, I'll just remind you again that we're going to have a Q&A together. So if there are any questions or things that you would want to address or work through specifically, uh, write them, email them to us. We'd love to prepare and answer those questions for you. Let me go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these truths and ideas. Again, we're just thankful for your scriptures, the reminder of how we are to conduct ourselves. And we would pray that we would be the kind of people that would be filled with love, filled with wisdom, walking in the light, so that our lives would be careful, that we would be skillful in knowing the truth and applying it, not led by any other influence. Certainly recognizing we're not going to fall into righteousness, something that is going to be obtained as we strive and yield. We are thankful for the Spirit's work in our life, moving us and bringing conviction and drawing us closer. We pray, Father, help us to, to appreciate the things of God all the more so that we would be careful to guard ourselves. Thank you for these people who came to hear your word, who desire to love you. We just pray... Uh, minister to their own hearts and lives tonight as they seek to understand these truths and put it to practice. It's in your blessed name we pray. Amen.